Mistakes Over Failure, where CEOs and board members from around the world share the good, the bad, and the ugly of their diversity and inclusion journeys. We are CEOs. We understand the pressures of leadership and the rules that are often unwritten. I'm Dr. Christine Crawford. And I'm Leslie Wingo. Together, we're here to spark honest and frank conversations that will encourage us to think differently, learn from failures, avoid inaction, and encourage each of us to make mistakes. The world needs better leaders, and we can become better together. I am Matt Blumberg. I'm the founder and CEO of Bolster. Bolster is a marketplace for on-demand executive talent. So we are trying to reinvent the process by which startups and uh, growth stage and mid-market companies find executives. And they can find executives through us for everything from a project to a part-time job to a full-time job to a board job. And uh, we actually do a pretty high volume of board placements as well. Uh, we have a big focus on diversity in our marketplace with about 70% of our members as either women or people of color or both, obviously. Bolster is about three years old. I've spent my whole career in technology as well. I was the founder and CEO of Return Path, which was uh, an enterprise SaaS company in email marketing that I grew for 20 years. Before that, I was the founder of moviephone.com. If you remember the old telephone service, 777 Film, uh, the company hired me at the beginning of the commercial internet to figure out what the internet was. That was my first job there. Before that was in venture capital and management consulting. I've got three teenagers. I live just outside of New York City in Westchester County. I grew up in Southern California. And those are the basics. I've written a few books. Startup CEO, Startup CXO, and Startup Boards. I'm on a lot of boards of all flavors and uh, excited to be talking about boards today. One of my favorite subjects. So my first question for you is, what emoji do you use most often? But definitely the full, full-on smiley. Perfect. What was your first job? After college or before college? Both. I would call my first job before college digging ditches with a construction firm one summer in high school. First job after college was management consulting. So I, I grew a little bit between the two. What is the job you've always wanted, but you haven't done so yet? POTUS. Really? Nice. All right, Jocelyn, your turn. So my name is Jocelyn Megan. I am the CEO and founder of Him For Her and Illumin. Our two companies together are here to elevate the boardroom. Him for Her is out to solve board diversity in the United States in the next 10 years. Illumin was formed with Him for Her to help elevate the knowledge inside the boardroom and the visibility of corporate executives for the boardroom. And my background is I spent my entire career in technology, mostly inside of two companies, City Search Ticketmaster and Open Table. I was born in New Orleans, raised mostly in Texas, and I live in Oakland, California. What emoji do you use most often? Think fire. What was your first job? My first job before college was camp counselor, Camp Longhorn, nine years. First job after college was hostess at the Brewhouse Grill. Business acronyms, do you love them or hate them? Hate. What is the job you've always wanted, but you haven't done so yet? College career counselor. Matt, how do you and Jocelyn know one another and how does she come to write the foreword for your book about startup boards? 
Jocelyn and I have so many points of commonality and didn't know each other forever, which is kind of shocking now that we know each other and know all the people we know in common. But we met right after I started Bolster, I think. Um, we were connected by a couple different people at the same time, one of whom was Brad Feld, who is a managing director at Foundry. Uh, Foundry's a, a large VC and fund of funds based in Boulder, Colorado. Brad was on my board for 20 years at my prior company. He's uh, one of my lead investors at Bolster, and he's one of the uh, principal supporters of Him for Her and Illumin as well. And um, through Brad, Jocelyn and I got to know each other. Uh, Bolster and Him for Her have collaborated on a number of, of board searches and board placements. And when Brad and I and uh, Mahendra Ramsangani sat down to write the second edition of Startup Boards, we thought Jocelyn would be a great voice to add to the mix and uh, had her write the forward. And she does a lot of speaking with us on it. So now, Jocelyn, this is kind of like you ask couples how they first met. Is that your same version of the first date with that? Yeah, although what I didn't know is we were both hired to figure out the Internet. So we will have to talk about that on another podcast, Matt, because I was hired to help figure it out for City Guides and Tickets. Um, and you were doing movies. So we were kind of we're on parallel paths. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would say that we we entered this space with similar backgrounds at about the similar time. And, you know, luckily, through all these multiple connections with the strongest being Brad, we've been able to find good ways to collaborate because I think we share a passion for making sure great people sit in great roles in the world to help better shape companies and outcomes. Well, Jocelyn, I was digging around on your Twitter page because I wanted to find a great quote. And you said, there will always be a need for human touch to create meaningful guest and customer experiences. So how do you ensure that comes across in all of the work that you're doing for both companies? So we're super relationship first data back. And what I mean by that is we're not out to solve a small problem or out to solve a massive opportunity. Board diversity in the United States means, you know, close to 11,000 women sitting in board seats. And so you don't really do that without the data element. But what we've also found is people don't tend to find this type of role, the board role, through anything but relationship. And that's actually why the boards look a lot the way they do today is people tend to want to pick people they already know and trust and their circles are limited to the people they know. And so what we do is we use this combination of a data-driven backend, but a superhuman front-end. In fact, we started our company over a private dinner. <laughs> Simple, right? Breaking bread has been done for centuries. And surprisingly, it's still done. And we still use that as one of the, the major programs in our work because it's a familiar method for people to get to know one another. And what we're really ultimately trying to do is get people to get to know different people, equally qualified, but different than what they may have seen had they not taken that extra step. I should mention, I'm, I sit on three boards and two of them are in the restaurant space and I spent a decade at Open Table. So I'm very into restaurants, food and human connection. And so there's no surprise that that was, that was a piece of, of the beginning of our company. So Matt, how do you then use tech and technology to, to try and do the same thing that in some ways Jocelyn is using both, right, to do? How do you all approach it? I would say we use both too. I mean, we might have an emphasis on a slightly different syllable of the same word, but uh, Bolster is an online marketplace, but we're what we describe as a managed marketplace. And no one in the history of humankind is ever going to hire a board member by clicking a mouse a few times. So we use our platform and we use data and we use our 
our fairly good size and growing base of executive members to help identify the right people for a board opportunity or a full-time or part-time opportunity. But at the end of the day, we're doing some work to curate. We've done a nice job as we've built out our member base at having multiple networks in it. So it's not just my network or my investor's network, but it's lots of other networks we've tapped into. And what that means is that we can truly take a you know, very, a very holistic and very diverse approach to sourcing candidates for any kind of search. But at the end of the day, the client, who for us is almost always the CEO that's looking to hire a senior executive or a board member, you know, the client's going to be interviewing people multiple times. Other directors are going to be interviewing candidates. And companies are looking not just to check a box, but they're looking for someone who's going to be you know, a great contributor to a board and a great contributor to the board's culture. So, you know, I, I think we and him for her have actually very similar approaches, even though we describe them a little bit differently. And in fact, I think we have, you know, we've never measured it, but we have a reasonable overlap, I think, in, in the populations and that uh, the two of us work with. I think we all are touching on things that I love, culture and diversity. And so what I see is an interesting crossroads when I start talking to people about diversity, especially on boards, that there's an intentionality to find diverse board members. On the other side of that is the candidate themselves going into that opportunity and not wanting to be the only one, but being the only one. And of course, we want people to belong in the culture, but how do we get people to belong and not assimilate so you still have the diversity of thought? I can start with that one. I, I'm on three boards. I mentioned uh, the two of them. I was the first woman and the first independent. And so, you know, when we think about why we want diversity, it's because we want different perspectives, right? And so when you are the only, whether it's the only woman, the only person of color, the only independent, it's pretty obvious from the conversation. And so to me, the only way um, is to make sure that you're not the only for long. And, and that is that is true on, on all lenses. And so I would tell candidates, if you are stepping on and, you know, from a data-driven point of view, you will, many women, many onlys will be stepping on as the first. The most important question to ask is what's the plan for that not to be the case, right? Because as soon as you get more independence, as soon as you get more women, as soon as you get more people of color, there's not all this isolated focus on your voice having to stand out amidst the other voices, which is a lot of pressure and it's quite frankly hard to do and can be also frustrating. And, and to your point, you know, what do you do then? Do you just assimilate into the conversation? Well, that's not why you're there. You're there to use your unique voice. So I think it's very important for all boards to be thinking beyond one of, of whatever that one is, have a plan. And if not, you know, there needs to be one or it's probably not a board you want to sit on. I, I would add a couple things to that. One is Leadership matters quite a bit. And the leadership of a board, which is always the CEO, even if there's an independent chair, it's the CEO. It could also be a lead independent director or a chair, um, has a lot to do with setting the tone um, of a board and for managing the social dynamic of a board that contributes to the board's culture. And hopefully the board's culture is similar to the company's culture, but um, the board is a team and it needs to be managed like a team. And the best teams are the ones where the team leader does everything possible to encourage trust and openness and authenticity and vulnerability across team members. 
And it's a lot harder when you have a group that's only meeting a few times a year and maybe only in person once or twice a year. But it's incumbent on leaders not just to make sure that there's more than one uh, underrepresented person on the board or non-white male on the board or however you want to frame it, uh, but that whether there's one or two or more than two, that the board culture is established in a really productive and engaging way. And, you know, I'll add that this may not be a popular comment or story, although I think it's kind of an interesting one. So I founded a nonprofit about seven years ago called Path Forward. I'm one of several founders. And uh, it was a program that we created inside of my prior company to bring moms, principally moms, back into the workforce after uh, a career break for caregiving. Uh, so the organization is called Path Forward. And uh, it's a great organization. Uh, it's a board of uh, eight or nine, and they're uh, about a staff of 12. And I am the only male. I mean, there are no males who work in the organization and only one on the board. Um, and that actually wasn't the case for a while. We had a couple men on the board. Jocelyn Brad was on the board for a while. But at the moment, I'm the only male voice in the room, and I'm the chair, and I'm a founder. And I'm very, very cognizant of the fact that I am the only male in the room. And there are, uh, you know, there are times where I see myself hanging back or feeling a little bit awkward about saying something because of that. So I'm not asking for sympathy here. I have plenty of uh, <laughs> plenty of great things that have happened in my life. And in fact, around Path Forward in particular, but to the extent that in, in 2023, a white male can have a little bit of actual empathy for the uh, for this issue, I look around that boardroom and I don't see anyone like me in, in a lot of ways. And, um, and it does make me sort of think twice before I speak a lot. So has that empathy shaped or changed your leadership in your boardroom for Bolster? Or how has that evolved kind of over time? Probably, you know, my board at Return Path, so, so the, the transition of my board at Return Path to my board at Bolster is kind of an interesting one. And, and uh, my board at Return Path was seven white dudes. And it was a great board by most measures. Uh, you know, it was three outstanding venture capitalists. It was three phenomenal independent directors. You know, all three of them, business builders, very successful in my, my sector at that company, uh, two CEOs, one CFO. And, you know, for a company that was started in 1999, you see how you ended up there with, with that board. And we didn't add, we didn't end up adding a new board member for the last seven or eight years of the company's existence because we just had a great board and it was the right size. And I'll leave the excuses there. Um, but when, when I started Bolster, I said, you know, we're going to do this one differently and we're going to do it differently from day one. And we have a six-person board, which for a company of our size is quite large. We should probably be three or maybe five at this point. Um, but we have a six-person board with two white men. So we have four other board members who are women and people of color and mostly intersectional. And that was very intentional. The great thing about it is we have a board that is you know, hugely diverse and representative out of the gate. And... The one piece of it that's a little challenging that I think works well in our environment, but might be difficult for some founders, is we have four first-time board members on the board at the same time. So I'm a huge advocate as we run board searches and as we help coach clients on board building, you know, we're very clear that it is important to take first-time board members. The only way to expand the population of experienced board members is to widen the aperture and look for people who are ready for their first board, not just people who've already been on three boards, because that population is very narrow. 
And I don't mind having four first-time board members. I'm doing a lot of coaching and teaching of them. And some of the VCs who are on our cap table who didn't take board seats to make room for the independents are board observers, and they're kind of helping us train and coach people up as well. If I were a first-time founder, I it wouldn't work to have that many first-time board members on with me at the same time, but it would certainly work to have one or two. My question for both of you is this. Was there an aha moment where you thought that things needed to change? Or was it something that was gradually then suddenly? What came about for you to do that? Because it's a huge step and it's quite impressive on both accounts. It starts with intentionality. The habit is to start with who do we know versus what do we need? So, you know, if you ask who do you know, you're going to end up with boards that look like they look today. If you start with what do we need um, from a skill set point of view, and then you believe, which is true, there is a diverse candidate to meet every single one of those requirements, then that's the intention setting. And then you're right. It is more work to go find the people, but that's why Bolster and Him for Her exist is they're there. They're just hiding in plain sight. So so I think the key thing is not to kind of give into the inertia of the, the question, who do we know, to set that intention and then to recognize that there are people who can help make that, what seems hard, easier for you to actually deliver against it. And I, I did have an aha moment. I had a moment, I cannot remember the year. I started Return Path in 1999, maybe it was 2006, seven, something midway through the through the journey. And we had a, a culture of, of real sort of openness and frankness and, and directness. And I was doing a, a, a skip level meeting with a woman who was, I don't know, three layers down in the organization for me and uh, maybe five years out of college, something in that general ballpark. And uh, I always asked people when I did skip levels, especially if I didn't know them well or have a lot of interaction with them, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and change something here, what would you change? And it's a great question to ask employees. And you get everything when you ask that question. Like someone will tell you, like, they, they don't like the flavor of something in the kitchen. And, um, you know, someone will tell you something about products and et cetera. And this woman looked at me and she said, I don't understand why there aren't any women on the board. And I said, you know, that's a, that is a fair challenge and a fair question. And I can sit here and explain to you why there are no female VCs in the world. But I also do have an independent or two on the board, and they're not females too. And I appreciate the challenge. And uh, she said something to me that really stuck with me, which which was, "Hey, you know, from my perspective, if you can't see it, you can't be it." Mm-hmm. And that was that was definitely a you know a moment for me. And it's not like that day I went out and started Bolster, or that day I started doing something differently. But that was certainly a a, a moment where I'm not sure I even realized that the employees in the company knew who the board was or what the board was. I obviously knew they knew what the leadership team was. And we had been very focused on diversity on the leadership team. But it hadn't occurred to me that they were really focused on who the board was as well. And it doesn't matter if they're focused on it or not. Now, many years later, I obviously understand and appreciate the value of different perspectives in the boardroom and different backgrounds uh, in the boardroom. So you all both talked about curation. And I also say, Jocelyn, that's your superpower is how do you curate all these great people coming together and finding one another. Do either of you have an example or a story about when you got that wrong, right? So what happens when curation goes wrong and then how do you fix it? I guess for us, I mean, we're just at the, we introduce people, right? So we're not a search firm. We're not making the decision about 
who gets on a board. And we've got 6,000 women on our network and 60% have been referred for board opening. <laughs> so gosh, when you talk about getting it wrong, it's like, wow, shouldn't more people meet more great, talented people? We don't have a lot of those stories because we are not, we don't, I mean, I hate to say that we're only success. That's not what I mean. But because we're in this world of shining a light on talent that's that's ultimately hidden, there is no wrong to that. You know, these people enjoy meeting other people and sometimes they land in a board seat, sometimes they don't. We just had a story where a woman who did land that board seat just got put in as the CEO of the company, right? And so once we introduce someone, we let the world take care of that introduction. And, and what we're really focused on is making more, making sure more people meet one another who wouldn't have otherwise met, going back to what Matt said, because you're not going to meet your board member clicking a mouse you know, around the internet. You're going to meet them by getting to know them as a human being. And so I'll think on that. But my first reaction is, wow, I, I can't imagine you know, a wrong introduction that we've made at this point. Let me build on that a little bit, um, because while we do a little bit, maybe more of the the board sort of search process, we're also not a retained search firm. I think the curation, the curation process stops somewhere, and it probably stops somewhere around the building of the actual relationship and the the fit that different people have with each other and with groups. And whether that fit is around values or around communication style, that's much less about curation. I mean, you can have a sense. Jocelyn and I probably both do this. We make introductions. We're like, that one is going to work really well. But there are plenty where you just don't, there, there are too many unknowns for you at the front of the process to know how those people are going to get along long-term or even short-term. So, you know, we, we make introductions that on paper look great and the people have their first meeting and they come back and they say, well, no, you know, that wasn't, that was, that, that person didn't do it for me. The one thing that we try to do, uh, and we encourage our clients to do, that's kind of a, I think an interesting part of the board interview process. You know, obviously we suggest they interview thoroughly, which means every board member is meeting a candidate. The CEO is probably doing multiple interviews. We also encourage them to invite their finalist, not multiple finalists, but one finalist to attend a board meeting before they formally get put on their board. And if things go well, then that was their first board meeting. But um, but to make it very much like a, a two-way audition before you, you finalize things. And that's probably not perfect either. But if you want to see how someone interacts with a group and how they respond to a group and how the group responds to them, there's only one way to do that, which is to drop them into the group and see how that goes. So we try to take a lot of care with our clients to make sure that that, that, that step in the process goes well and is well, the, the candidate is very well prepared for the board meeting. They're not just sort of thrown into it. But we've had experiences, and I've had this on my own board, where I have bounced a candidate out of the board selection process after we were 99.9% .9 sure they were going to fit and you know join the board. And they came for that audition. And the one that I'm, I'm thinking of from my past... And the person was an experienced CEO, had built a $100 million business. So you're not a shrinking violet if you build a $100 million business. And I had someone come to a board audition and didn't open his mouth. And even though I said, one of the things I'm looking for is an independent director who can have a strong voice in a room full of strong VCs. 
And even though I said ahead of the meeting, these are three topics I really want your perspective on. And even though in the meeting, I called on this person three times, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What's your experience with this? From one word answers, it was like talking to my teenager. And, you know, it's just very clear, like that person was not comfortable speaking up in that room. I have another question for y'all. So I'm also thinking about the CEOs and the the presidents who might be listening to this conversation saying, okay, that sounds great. Where do we start? What do we need to think about? How do we get to where we're going? And how do we measure our success or our, our mistakes and failures? It starts with figuring out what do you have and then asking what you need. And what you have is, is, Yourself as a CEO, founder, president, what are your skill sets? What are your strengths, right? And then who's around you today in terms of their skill sets and strengths? And then what's the company facing over the next, I'd say five, but let's say three years, because even two quarters seems really hard right now for most companies. And then there, you know, there's a strategy there, you know, or maybe there's a lack of strategy there, but there's some gap. And then that's the, that's the, what do we need conversation? I think that's the best place to start is what do we have and what do we need? How do you go find it? Call him for her and bolster. We'll help you find it. <laughs> there. That's the easy part. We'll make that part so easy for you. But but I think the harder part is, is and I would say the second piece of that is creating the time and space to ask that question because it's typically not urgent to get your independent director, right? It's urgent to get your missing CFO. It's urgent to get your missing CMO. It's urgent. It feels like everything's urgent right now. There's a crisis around every corner. So, you know, before we even get to the what we need, it's creating the space to ask the question that I think is really, really important because what people don't realize is what is being left on the table when you don't have that valuable independent. So much is being left on the table. So much counsel is being left, you know, aside that that CEO and president could be getting from someone who has a strength that they're missing. So so that that's where I would say, you know, we see a lot of inertia, like, I know I should do it, but there's just no time. Create the time, create the intention, map it out. There's tools for that. We have it. I'm sure Bolster has it. And then, you know, get get help on finding the people. Is it hard for people or CEOs to even identify that they might have a gap? Frequently, yeah. I mean, sometimes clients show up and they say, oh, I know I need an independent board member. The seat's been open for three years, right? So what does that mean? That means that you you haven't made this a priority for three years. Why are you coming to me now? Like, why is this important all of a sudden? You know, and and I would also say there are times where CEOs committed to doing a board search, but the thing that they think they want on the way in is really different than the thing that they get at the end of even our kickoff, where we walk through the, you know, sort of requirements process. And we ask similar questions to what him for her does. What do you have? What do you need? What are things going to look like in the future? And, you know, just walking a, a thoughtful CEO through a framework, you get a different answer. And then I would say the area where we have to do kind of the most counseling is, you know, we will frequently start a kickoff meeting for a board search where the, the answer to question one and question two are in conflict with each other. And question one is, how important is diversity to you in this board search? And the answer is almost always yes, it's very important. And the answer to question two of, do you care if the board member is an experienced corporate board member? And the answer is almost always yes. So of course I want someone on my board who's I've been on boards before. So as, as I said a few minutes ago, that's where you have to kind of bring them along for the ride a little bit and talk about what it means for someone to be board ready as opposed to board experienced. and. Everyone's got to have their first board at some point. Jocelyn had hers at one point. I, you know, I had mine at one point. And, um, you know, did I add 
more value in subsequent boards? I don't know, maybe, but maybe not. I, I want to share with you, I think you have influenced what may be my new definition for diversity, which is, you know, who do you need and what are you leaving on the table? Right. Because that is at its core diversity, be it in your board, be it in your team and employees. It is. That's it. So thank you all for that. So we talk about this being mistakes over failure. And so we ask all of our guests what has been both mistakes being the thing that you do um, and you learn from and move forward and failures being the things that you do over and over again. What has been, if there is such a thing as your favorite mistake or the the thing that um, you thought you got wrong initially, but that you actually learned the most from? So we just did this reading through some work that I do um, with Lencioni and he talks about this team concept where your first team is kind of your peer group instead of the people you manage. And I would say when I was younger in my leadership career, I felt like being a good manager was kind of taking care of my team, like the people who reported to me as first. And when I did this reading, I started reflecting on that. I started seeing all those like kind of failures repeated over and over. And it's not to say I don't love all my teams. And if they're listening to this, I love you all. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) But, But I don't know that I spent enough time in those years on that concept. And you can agree or disagree. I actually, when I read it, was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And so I've been reflecting on that a lot. Now that I'm CEO, I do really feel like I'm a team of one. But, you know, just that concept of that peer group being your first team in a company for health seems to make a lot of sense to me. And I don't know that I was really visible to that as a leader and a manager growing up in the world. And I don't know that I got it. And I think I made a lot of mistakes um, because of that. And it's obviously hindsight's 2020. The first team concept from Lencioni is so powerful. It's it's like so branded on my brain at this point. But um, I can't remember when I whenever I, I first read that and discovered that it was like a light bulb went off. And it, it, it is a, it's hugely impactful. So for me, I would say at my previous company, I used to describe us as a family. And we were very close-knit, even when we had 500 people even when we had people all over the world, some of whom never met each other. I think most people that worked at the company would have referred to it as like a family atmosphere. We used to sort of use that language a lot, think of ourselves that way. And I actually think that's that did not serve us well. And it, it served us well at, at times, but I actually think a better way of describing a company is as a team. And teams can also have moments where you know, they love each other, where they take care of each other, you know, where they lift each other up, the same as as family members. But, you know, business is a team sport. And there's something different. Like, you don't talk about high-performing families. Maybe you should. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a different podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah. And by the way, Jocelyn, if you haven't read, if you haven't read Lencioni's uh, book about families, which is called Four Questions for a Frantic Family, it's a uh, really good one. It's like one of I mean, it's 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 him, right? You read it like his all of his books, but um, he applies sort of the team concept to the family. But I think that was a, a learning I took away from some of the challenges that we ran into over, you know, twenty years as the family at Return Path got bigger and bigger and bigger. It's kind of harder to to think about like that. I did have one aha moment I didn't share, 
Because it's kind of from a reverse perspective, and I've really been reflecting on it um, lately because I just reconnected with the founder of of this company. But I was actually invited into the boardroom when I was 28 to pitch an idea to the chair of the board. And I had never stepped foot in a boardroom before. And I really was passionate about this idea. I believed in it very, very, you know, as much as you can at 28 years old. We had a business plan. We had the whole thing. But in that meeting, the chair said, it's a great idea. Why don't you go try it and move to London? And I did. And it changed my life forever. And that was kind of my aha moment that this room, this boardroom has an altitude of decision-making that's unlike any other in business. And you don't have to be a super experienced person. I wasn't. (laughs) You could argue that chair was crazy to say that. And I know this chair has done that since for other women. So I think it was such an also important lesson for those who can, you know, Matt, you were telling your skip level, which reminded me of it. You you can expose people to the boardroom without making them a board member. Um, you You can have them observe, present, digest. And it really does help uh, spark interest in this this room because it is such an important and and in my opinion an incredible a lever for change in the world. So that was my aha moment. I just want to share. I'll build on that. I think what when we look at what constitutes board ready for someone who is not board experienced, certainly you can look at people who've served on other kinds of boards, nonprofit boards, community boards, school boards, etc. But I actually think one of the best marks of board readiness is they have presented to a board multiple times, right? They've been on an executive team. They've been invited to the quarterly board meeting to do their piece of it. And the more of that they've done, the better. We just appreciate y'all and appreciate, more importantly, honestly, appreciate the work that y'all do. Like, seriously, the the, um, the fact that you all are doing it in the way in which you both do it um, is extremely important and will change lives. And so, you know, Jocelyn and Matt, Thank you both for giving folks those opportunities that were given to a young Jocelyn in a boardroom. So Yeah, the way y'all approach the work is unapologetic and brilliant. So thank you for, for being a voice in the room for all of us. It's amazing. Thank you. Y'all are great. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We are Mistakes Over Failures, a podcast by YPO, the global leadership community of extraordinary chief executives. 